Alright, this is Ricky. And this is Brendan. And you're listening to A Gentleman's Disagreement. What I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of lion's head. Folks of different minds because even though it did not share the pains we share, that American idea. Friends made over arguments in an early morning buzz. Need an early morning buzz. All right, Brendan. So it is Tuesday, May 17th. I think we're 50 episodes in, 50 plus episodes in. I don't know that we've ever recorded on back-to-back days, but uh, uh, I think we'll, we'll space this one out for the listeners a bit, but still um, excited uh, for what we have in store. What are we talking about today? Well, the reason we have to record on back-to-back days is because we got to stockpile some episodes. So in a bit of personal news, I'm going to a study abroad program in Galway, Ireland for a couple of weeks on Thursday. So I had been pressuring Ricky. I know we haven't been great this spring about producing episodes. And like, once we get back into the habit, we're like, let's keep doing it. And so we got back-to-back episodes. Last night, we caught up on a lot of things that happened in the the news recently with the, the Buffalo shooting and the, the progress that the Ukrainian forces are making Americans role in Ukraine and, and COVID and that milestone. But today we're doing a very uh, topic focused episode. And the focus of that topic is on the state of Florida in general and on Governor DeSantis in particular. So DeSantis is someone that has seen a meteoric rise in his national profile over the last two years. He's become one of the most well-known figures in the Republican Party, uh, perhaps, and we'll talk about this, a a potential presidential candidate in 2024. And so we want to dig into some of the policies that have garnered him such attention, such admiration from those on the right, such derision from some of those on the left, and discuss that. And to do that, we're going to bring in uh, one of my friends from, from Suffolk, uh, Austin Jackson, who, in addition to currently going to law school, grew up in Florida, went to uh, high school, college in Florida, and is very tapped into the Florida scene. So we're going to get his perspective on DeSantis from a, a Floridian's perspective, because you and I have these outsider perspectives, but uh, curious to see how some of those policies, like we, we can read how they're playing up here, but curious to see how they're playing more on the ground in Florida. Yeah, yeah, definitely excited to have um, Austin join us. I mean, I'm right. We always get that outsider's perspective and, you know, what the national news media picks up on what's going on in Florida is not always reflective of like how Floridians feel. So it'll be good to have a, an insider look um, at life under DeSantis in Florida. Yeah, sure. Uh, before we get into all of that, just a quick reminder, the podcast is brought to you by the, the hardworking craftsmen over at Cannon Hill Woodworking. As you know, since 2018, they've been building handcrafted high-end custom tables and desks in Boston. That's Cannon with two ends. Ricky, I'm going to have to uh, get some business cards, start dropping them in Ireland. Maybe we can we can expand this business to like an international business. We, we, maybe we get a, we got a cut of that. Uh, that would be nice for everybody. Yeah. A lot, right, uh, a lot but of that, shipping issues then. They stand in our way these days. Hey, handcrafted high-end products, those play no matter where you are. Indeed, indeed. All right, um, that's Canada with two ends. You can check them out on Instagram or you follow them online at canadahillwood.com. So we always appreciate their support. And without further ado, let's get into our conversation with Austin. 
All right, we are now thrilled to welcome my good friend Austin Jackson to the program. I know Austin through Suffolk Law School, where we both go together. We are talking about Florida today, and so Austin is going to be the perfect guy to talk about this because Austin grew up in Florida. He went to Florida State University, and while he's giving the the North a shot for a couple of years, he's actually currently back in Tallahassee, his, his favorite city for a summer internship down in Florida. So Austin, thanks so much for, for joining us. Uh, we appreciate your time and uh, excited for the conversation today. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm really excited to discuss some stuff with y'all. I actually, I sent, Austin, you texted me this a couple months ago and I sent a screenshot of it to Ricky, but when Austin was applying for his internship, one of the things they, they had asked him were like, well, like, what do you listen to? What type of podcast? And Austin, I know I know Austin's like a huge podcast like listener. He has a bunch but one of the things is, oh, you know, gentlemen's disagreements, this really good political current events podcast. So I said a snap to Ricky, Ricky, this is the guy. And I was like, look, this is what we need. This is the kind of borrowed marketing that we need. We need people word to word, mouth to mouth. Like that's that's what that's how we grow this podcast. So Austin, we appreciate you joining us, but being and again, not only joining us today, not only being a listener, but spreading the the gospel. Word. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, anything that has uh, multiple points of view, I'm a big fan of. So, you know, I, I, I had to rep the home, you know. <laughs> All right, so let, let's talk Ron DeSantis and, and Florida in general. I am going to just give like a brief overview of DeSantis's previous career prior to becoming the governor of Florida. And then we'll get into some of his policies, how they've played out in Florida, how they've played out uh maybe looking in from the outside in and get both Austin and Ricky's perspective on that. So... Ron DeSantis first came to my attention and probably to the vast majority of the United States' attention when he became governor of Florida. But before then, uh, he grew up in Florida. He went to Yale for college and then Harvard Law School. He joined the U.S. Navy where he was a legal advisor to SEAL Team 1. He did a tour in Iraq back in 2007. He came back, worked uh, as a special assistant to the U.S. attorney in Florida. And then he was elected to Congress in 2012, where he was a founding member of the Freedom Caucus. He served three terms there, so from 2012 to 2017. And then in 2018, Rick Scott was the previous governor of Florida. He was term limited. And so DeSantis gave up his congressional seat to run for the governorship of Florida. That race was close. And I remember following that, not necessarily because I knew who Ron DeSantis was at that point or who his opponent, Andrew Gillum, was, but I I remember it being very close where um, Gillum had conceded and then it was like close and he unconceded and it went, went down. It actually wasn't decided for a couple of weeks, but when it all finished, DeSantis became the the new governor of Florida. After that, I went back and looked. So I get, I subscribe to both Politico and the Washington Post. So I get daily emails from both of those organizations. I just searched my email in preparation for this podcast and just searched DeSantis. And the first mention I get of DeSantis in my inbox is from from September of 2019, there is a big hurricane coming to Florida and this DeSantis is like first major test of how he's going to handle one of the significant parts of being a governor. And there was questions at the time of he was, this was his first year. 
while he had served in Congress, being a governor and being responsible for a state during a natural disaster is very different. And so since that time, so really two and a half years ago, I have 345 different emails from Politico or the Washington Post mentioning Ron DeSantis. And this is one of the reasons that we wanted to talk, Ricky and I wanted to talk Florida today and why we wanted to have Austin on to talk, because I think we're three people that pay pretty close attention to politics nationally, locally. We probably could name, I don't want to speak for you guys, maybe you can do more, but like five to 10 governors top of your head. And DeSantis might be right now the governor that the most people, he might have the most name recognition of any governor in the country right now. Like who, I, I, who else would you have argue? Like maybe Greg Abbott in Texas or maybe Gavin Newsom in, in California. I don't know that anybody else is even on that level. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, uh, you have, uh, is it Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan okay. too? Um, she's Only because she almost got kidnapped, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they, yeah, I mean, that, that, that trial itself deserves its own episode. That was, that was crazy, man. That was crazy. But, <laughs> but the point is that I was, I was trying to make is that like he was seemingly like from all, all accounts, like an effective member of Congress, like I said, a member of the, the Freedom Party, a close ally of President Trump, but he was not someone that was known, even on the level that someone like Jim Jordan is known <laughs> as, as a, a congressperson. And in the last two and a half years, he has made an incredible name for himself. That's maybe not his primary goal of of what he's doing, but it certainly hasn't been a bad outcome for him politically. He's now bandied about as a potential presidential candidate in 2024. If President Trump chooses not to run, DeSantis might be the favorite in the Republican Party. And it's it's really a remarkable rise for him in, in a rather short period of time. And he... Going through his resume, he is certainly a very ed- well-educated man. He is someone that has a, a good deal of experience, not only with his background in education, but in, in the law and in the military and in Congress. So he, he's got quite a resume. But again, he was not even on people's radars before he burst onto the scene, I would say, really during the, the pandemic in, in March of 2020. So I guess, Austin, I want to start with you is... Before we get into the specific policies that DeSantis has pushed during his time as the governor, how has he been received from like a Floridian's perspective? And obviously you can't speak for everybody, but Ricky and I are very much purely looking in from the outside with how we're judging him. But how how, how is he being looked at over the course of his governorship um, by most Floridians or from, from what you know? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's, like I think you, you said it well. I mean, I can't really speak for everybody, and I, you know, you're you're asking a, a Bostonian, Floridian, really someone who hasn't really been here the last two years. But I, I do try to keep up on the current events, and and um, you know, I keep my ear to the ground down here. And, and really, the sense that I get is that he's really well liked here. I mean, if you look at the numbers alone, uh, you have a record uh, north of five hundred thousand new Republicans registered since the last election cycle. I mean, that alone should tell you everything you need to know. I mean, in a, in a state that has historically been a swing state by just, you know, under 10,000 votes, you know, you want to talk about his 2016-17 uh, election, that was under 10,000 votes. I mean, and now you've got neighborhood of 500,000 or more registered Republicans. I mean, that should tell you everything you know. He's very well received. I think that the people like how aggressive he was in the COVID um, policies. I think that 
people absolutely love the fact that it didn't shut down. I mean, look at the number of people moving here. I mean, it's, I mean, I think the numbers alone speak for themselves. Great. So appreciate that. And Ricky, from your perspective, what, what have you just seen like from a broad overview here of, of DeSantis from the outside? What, what, what do you think of him from 3000 miles away? Yeah. I mean, it, it's a good question. I was kind of doing the same, like looking through the, the news out, outlets that I follow. And so obviously they lean a little bit more left and, you know, the things that come up are the more recent, the, obviously the don't say gay bill, sort of the retaliatory action to lift Disney's special tax status, like a bunch of hot button, like culture war issues that I don't really actually have a sense of like what he's doing in like day-to-day governance other than kind of the things that get picked up at, you know, by the left as saying like, look at Ron DeSantis and the crazy shit that he's doing in Florida. All right. Well, we'll get into all of those specific things soon enough, but let's go start back to where he really did make that name for himself, which is during the pandemic. And Austin, you alluded to it where there were just, and Ricky, we actually talked about this on, on last week's episode of, if you look back at the beginning of the pandemic, there was no playbook. There are, were no right answers. There really aren't more right answers looking back on it. And it's very easy to now two years later, Monday morning quarterback, the decisions of everybody, but governors across the country were doing very different things. And so up here in the Northeast, we were locked down and it was schools were closed. Masks were required everywhere. And, there were just very strict policies around all of those things. Governor DeSantis took a very different path. He immediately rejected the implementation of a statewide mask mandate. He had a very brief stay at home order at the beginning of the pandemic, but let that expire, I believe, like the end of April of 2020, where as opposed to like Massachusetts, New York, that kept those orders extended and then re-extending them through multiple periods of time. And then he reopened all schools by October, that October of that year. And again, Massachusetts, we're only speaking from our experiences, but Massachusetts was out of school. The vast majority of our education, like local education systems were out of school for most, if not all of the 2020, 2021 school year. So his approach to the pandemic was really polar opposite of what we experienced up here in the Northeast. And it's been, it was just fascinating to look at the reaction to that because the immediate reaction was some pretty serious backlash of look what he's doing. He's very much in the president Trump mold. He doesn't care. He's not using science. He has no respect for the data that's happening. And then look at all these people that are dying. And then over time, it kind of, the pendulum swung back the other way. And there was all of, there were all of these issues, whether it was economic issues or mental health issues that were cropping up here in the Northeast and if you look down in Florida, their death rates didn't seem to be any greater than that was happening up here in the Northeast. And their economy was booming. And everyone was lauding DeSantis for, to, for having the foresight not to lock people down and giving people the freedom to make all their choices themselves. Of course, like then it swings back the other way where this we go back to school this year and some local school boards want to put in place mask mandates. And he's making laws saying that like schools can't put in mask mandates and that you that um, we're not going to deal with private companies or that require vac- vaccinations from, from their employees. And then the pendulum swings back the other way. So it's been, of course, the court of public opinion swings back and forth. But uh, 
yeah, Austin, you were there, I guess, at the very beginning, and then we're up here for a lot of that. But what is, do you think that's been the main driver in terms of his popularity in Florida? Like how, how has that, how, how have his COVID policies played out over the course of time in, in Florida? Well, I think you summed it up really well. I mean, I think just the lack of lockdown rhetoric was was just a key driver in his success. I mean, I mean, talk about a gamble that paid off. I mean, back when no one knew what the science was, I mean, this guy basically said, I'm going to ignore what most other states are doing. And I mean, I guess you kind of tell yourself, I hope that it pays off. And it did. I mean, like I said, the record number of people moving here alone, I mean, is insane. Also, I mean, business is booming because of the anti-lockdown sentiment, which is a which is always a bonus. I mean, I think that, I think it's definitely the, if not one of the top three driving forces behind his success and and how he's become one of the forerunners of the Republican party, you know? I'm I'm curious a little bit on that um, sort of the tidbit about the record number of people moving to Florida, because I've sort of seen a, a taking a few different ways. Like some people are just pointing to the fact that you know, it's, it's remote work that's driving people to Florida and also to states like Texas, where they, you know, from states like California and maybe New York, New Jersey, high tax states to low tax states, where also, you know, can't, can't, can't say that the weather's not going to be better. How, you know, impression wise, is it that, like, are you getting a sense that it is kind of his governance style that's really attracting people? Or are there sort of additional factors? And they're basically saying that, you know, his his governance style isn't that crazy or isn't that out of line with how I would want to see things done that, that, uh, that it's not like a detraction. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great question. I mean, you know, this is, this is my impression, maybe, may not everyone else, everyone else's impression, but I think what a lot of it is, is people know what they're going to get, or they think that they know what they're going to get. I mean, with a lot of these governors, you know, who knows? I mean, maybe I think I think with this Trump sentiment that's kind of swept the Republican Party, you have the sense that, oh, a lot of these this is from a typical Republican standpoint. I think that a lot of these governors are rhinos. And you, maybe you don't know what they're going to get. But with DeSantis, the guy seems to be a pretty straight shooter, you know, at least on his face. He seems to tell you what he thinks, much like Trump, which is what a lot of people love about Trump. You know, I think that's why a lot of people like him, him and his form of governance is you, you, you know what you're going to get or you at least think you do, you know. Um, I think that the low taxes combined with the, you know, <laughs> the great weather, I mean, you know, I think that, that those are both great driving forces. I mean, I, you know, I, all jokes aside, I mean, you know, I, I, I personally know a record number of people have moved to Miami in the last year. I mean, and I know the weather's a huge driving force, you know, no one wants to be trapped inside anymore for, you know, eight month winters. And if, if you don't, if you're, if the career in law doesn't work out, you should just go work for like Florida's tourism board. There's no like bigger advocate of Florida than you are. Ricky, if you follow this guy on Instagram, you'll just see it's just Florida, 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 all the great things about it. Uh, but also, I want to press you on something with, with DeSantis's governance, the, his style of governance. And I, this is, I believe, going to be a theme when we look at all of his individual policies, where on the surface, he seems very much like the libertarian mold of stay off, let people take individual responsibilities, make their own decisions. So we're going to resist a statewide mask mandate. We're not, we're going to find businesses that are requiring vaccinations from their, from their employees. We're, we're not going to allow schools to impose mask mandates. And from that perspective, I'm like, great, that, that sounds awesome. 
On the other hand, in terms of how he's implemented this, it's not like he allows local like local governments to make these decisions for themselves. He's imposed a lot from the state level on local governments. Like I mentioned earlier, he passed bills like refusing to allow local governments to impose mask mandates on their students. And, and so from, from that perspective, I think that's what's been a little bit tricky for me because he's very much been like federal government, keep your fingers, your hands out of Florida, let Florida handle it. Great. But then for like local governments trying to do the same thing, he's been on top of them being like, you can't do this because I don't believe in those policies. So like, how, how are we supposed to, how do you reconcile those kind of what I think are like competing values? Yeah, I think that goes into really what my biggest criticism of him is, is that I feel like a lot of his policies, you know, whether I agree with him or not, are, are in large part just political theater. And he knows that a large part of his base is not going to look that deep into his policies. You know, I think that, you know, you're exactly right. He does, you know, tout himself as this, you know, individual liberties kind of guy. But when it comes to, you know, being a city in Florida, you don't get that privilege, apparently, you know. And, and I think that that's really interesting to look at. I mean, yeah, I think you summed it up really well. I do. I, I don't know if I really have much more to add to it besides the fact that I, I do think that that is probably one of his biggest critiques is that he he doesn't really uh, follow what he preaches, I guess. So I I kind of have a question, maybe just leading off of that, like I think his popularity or his sort of fame nationally, whether you love him or hate him, has really come down to these types of policies that kind of want to you know, uh, call attention to sort of how he's approaching a certain culture war type of issue. Is that kind of accurate in terms of like how Floridians uh, view him? Or are they kind of looking at some of these things and saying like, those don't have as much of an impact? Well, the mass mandates aside, like, some of these things just don't actually have a huge impact on my day to day life. And I like how his position on taxes and I like that he hasn't locked down the state. Like, are they, you know, are they looking for a governor who's trying, who's kind of making these like almost national stands with local policy, or are they looking at a governor who's kind of doing what they want him to do locally and they don't really care, you know, about some of these other things? I think it's definitely the latter. I think that people just don't look that deep into the things. I think they, they see, we live in the generation now of, you know, if you can read it in two seconds, you know, that's, that's, that's the point. I mean, you know, I, I think you said it really well. It's, they just don't, they just don't care. They don't think it's going to affect them in the, in the long run of their day to day. So they just, they see that they see the tabloid. They said, I agree with that, or I don't agree with that. And they're just wrong with it. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So let's dig into that a little bit more. One for the political theater aspect, Austin, that you mentioned, and two for the culture war aspect that you, Ricky, mentioned. So let's just talk about LGBTQ rights that DeSantis has been involved in over the past four years, three and a half, four years. So less than a week after taking office in 2019, he issued a non-discrimination order for state employees. It included race, age, sex, religion, um, natural origin, marital status, disability, but had no protections for sexual orientation or gender identity. Maybe in and of itself, not, not the biggest thing, but I just wanted to lay that down as the marker of that was one week into office. Then this is where it really picks up in 2021. 
he signed an act for the Fairness in Women's Sports, which bans transgender girls and women from competing in middle school and high school girls and women's sports competitions. In February of 2022, he supported the Parental Rights and Education Bill, which from the left has been dubbed the Don't Say Gay Bill, which prohibited instruction in schools on sexual orientation or gender identity from kindergarten to grade three. In, and then in April of that year, in response to Disney calling him out in, in the media and not supporting him and kind of protesting that policy, his support of that policy, uh, DeSantis revoked their, their like tax-exempt status, in which these privileges had been granted to the company for 50 years. And it was, it was, there's no other way to say it. it was really in direct response to like their reaction to his support of the parental rights and education bill. Even just something like in March, he signed a proclamation stating that the runner up, this woman, Emma Wyant, in the women's 500 yard freestyle, she was the true champion because the, the person who won the race, Leah Thomas, was a, a transgender woman. And so like, that's the point where Austin, you're saying it's political theater and Ricky, you're saying like, these are cultural issues that are national, really, they're issues that drive the national conversation really more so than, at least in some cases, more so on local issues. So Austin, do you feel like in Florida, his stances on these issues, these cultural issues, the political grandstanding that comes with it, do you feel like they've helped him in Florida? Because I, I would say objectively, they've helped him nationally in the Republican Party. But like how has it played out the same way in Florida? I think it depends. I think I think that you're 100 percent right. It's helped him nationally. It's, it gets name recognition. I mean, again, goes right into the political theater thing. I think that he knows what he's doing. He's an expert politician. Um, I, I would say that it, it, it definitely has helped him in Florida. Again, I'm going to go back to that record number of Republicans registered in the state. I mean, that's that's a great indicator of his success. But I think that also, you I mean, if you, I think it depends on where you ask people. I mean, if you look at the Democrat hotspots like, uh, like Tampa, St. Petersburg, Orlando, you might get a mixed bag. But really anywhere else, I would say that you're going to find pretty widespread support um, of his policies. I, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's pretty typical of what I expected um, of people that I asked in those areas. I was like, yeah, okay, these responses make sense. <laughs> So is he getting any pushback from Republicans on, I, I mean, I think Kelly, you touched on this too, just a little bit of the uh, incongruence of, you know, the typical, you know, I want government out of these types of questions. And he's very much injecting state government into these questions. Is there any, like, are there any Republicans saying, I mean, I like what he's doing kind of, or I, I agree with him, but I still think that this is, this isn't what we want government doing because if they're, if he's doing it, then, you know, theoretically somebody else could do it in a different way. And I wouldn't like that either. Sure. I, I haven't seen any, I think that he is the Florida Republican Kingmaker, much like Trump is the national Republican Kingmaker. I think that he is the Florida Republican Kingmaker. And I don't think anyone would really dare defy him because of his overwhelming support in the state. I mean, yeah, I think I think you, if you don't want to look at those new Republican numbers, you could just look at his individual donations. And I think that anyone who would think anyone in his party would think about defying him would be a, this is not a good idea for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't going to talk about this, but to your point, Austin, of him being the kingmaker down in, in Florida right now, where every state had to draw new maps, new congressional maps based on the 2020 census. And 
Normally, the Florida legislature does it. They in a, the Republicans control the Florida legislature. They drew up a map, and DeSantis was like, "Nah, <laughs> I don't like it," and drew up his own map. It was like it was like unprecedented, and everyone just kind of like looked around and went along with it. And now his map's going to be the one. It's it's well, or good. Well, I don't. I mean to cut you off. I, so, I yeah the the confusion, outrage, whatever you want to call it, I get it. It's it's unique to him. 100%. He is the only Florida governor in the history of our state to be the one to present his own map. Okay, that's typically traditionally been a job left up to the legislature. Uh, his map did get challenged in a court, uh, I believe, last week uh, by one of his own appointees, actually, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, and, I, you know, I honestly, I think that he kind of knows what he's doing at this point. I think that, you know, he's, you know, he was a Harvard law grad. He knows his, he's definitely familiar with the Florida Voting Rights Act. He knows that this map was going to get challenged. This is, this might be a hot take, but I personally do think that this was just, you know, something for him to go out and say, listen, like I'm trying to, you know, garner Republican support that these new voting districts uh, in the state and these, you know, Democrat liberals, you know, whatever you want to call them, aren't letting me do this. And here's another victory for me. You know, I, I, th- I think it's just more to the political theater. I think he knows exactly what he's doing. I really do. We live here for the hot takes, so. Yeah, that's what we're doing here. We can we can cut them up and splice them together and throw them on Instagram. That's, that's what we do here. Uh, no, we don't have the ability technologically to do it. <laughs> uh, Ricky, I, I want to go back, though, to the LGBTQ stuff, because there has obviously been huge outrage up here in the North on the liberal side of things in these echo chambers that we talk about over and over the, the Twitters of the world, the New York times is the Boston globes of the world of like, Oh my goodness, we're, we're going back decades in, in U S policy and civil rights. But then there's a reason, I guess, that these bills get passed. And according to Austin, according to really public opinion polls, like people are generally in favor of the, the laws preventing transgender women from participating in high school and college athletics and preventing schools from talking about sexual orientation and gender identity to kids in first and second grade. So I don't know, like how, what, what do you think of that? Is that just like to be expected? Like, of course, up here in the North, we don't like that, but in places like Florida, like that, those are are issues that play. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, so I I think this is my large issue with kind of this style of governance and I've talked to you about it with same same in Texas is that these types of moves I I think they garner a lot a lot of support but like in practice they're sort of solving for problems that don't really exist like if transgender women are allowed to compete in sports is that going to create like a wave of of men trying to convert uh you know, genders in order to play on in women's sport. Like, I think everybody would agree that the answer there is no, right? And so similarly, like talking about sexual orientation, is that like before the third or fourth grade, is that really a main driver for why somebody is going to be, be gay? Like, we, I don't think we think that that's true. So what, like, like, what are these policies like really achieving and and why are we so proud of them when really like, yeah, we're putting our stake in the ground saying that like we here in Florida don't kind of 
you know, we don't support what's happening nationally. And this is something the way that we feel and we haven't been able to say it. And now we have a champion in Ron DeSantis who's bringing us out, you know, from the cloak of darkness. And, you know, we're now comfortable that everybody like understands our position on this. And I think like, okay, but in terms of how this is impacting somebody's everyday life, I don't understand why it gets so much like credit locally. Probably don't understand why it gets as much attention nationally because it feels like it's like to be expected almost. I don't know. Like, I think regardless of uh, the policy, which, you know, I'm, I'm definitely against, I don't think it makes it any easier or any harder in states like this or, or really anywhere for people to be transgender or gay because, you know, we have all of our social stigmas and, and all the other challenges that people are facing. Um, so I don't know, as I typically do, I lost your question in there, but like, I, yeah, I guess I, like I, I personally, as, as Austin was saying around the political theater, like, I think that's exactly it. It's, it's something that he can, you know, really drum up support around, especially outside of Florida, because I, I don't really think it's having like a material impact on, well, I mean, there are certainly individuals who are having their lives impacted materially. But like, if we look at Florida in general, I think it's having like small impacts on small populations within the state. Uh, if I could just rebut to that. So I, I actually agree with a lot of what you say, Ricky. I think that, um, I think that it is a lot of political theater. I think that this might be probably one of the smarter moves on this antithesis part. I'm going to get, catch a lot of heat for saying that, um, you know, listen, I'm, I'm, I should start with this. I'm very socially classical liberal, you know, which is honestly more than modern conservative, which is do what you want and don't bother me. You know, that's, that's really my, my stance on this stuff. But I think that in this, you know, talking about this through the DeSantis lens, I think this is a really smart move on his part. And I think that the Democrats in this, in, fell right into his trap. I mean, naming this thing that don't say gay bill get, garnered him so much more support than it would have originally, because now you've labeled it this. And it took one press conference for someone to ask him about it and for him to explode on the reporter, for him to be all over Fox News for the next week. I mean, talk about garnering support. You know, I mean, that I just remember watching that over and over and being like, wow, like this really backfired really hardcore because this is not nowhere in the bill does even say the word, you know, don't say gay. It doesn't say that. Also, you know, to, to respond to your, oh, this isn't really happening type thing. You know, I, I agree. I don't think it's very widespread, but, you know, I do know, you know, SUNY, there's a SUNY professor, uh, his last name's Kirshner got caught talking about, you know, the acceptance of pedophilia. You've got a, you've got a lawsuit right now against New York. Um, I don't know if it's private or public schools for showing videos about masturbation to first graders. I mean, and, and I'm, I'm seeing countless more just by Googling it, you know, and not to discredit the point that I've already drew with you on. I don't think this is a, a widespread issue. I really don't, but I did happen to catch a Tucker Carlson, you know, six months ago while watching it with my dad about, you know, um, the first graders in New York that I just mentioned. And I think that this really feeds into that fear that the classical Trump Republicans, Trump Republicans have, you know, about their kids being indoctrinated. You know, I think honestly, the bigger issue in the education sphere would be in higher education, you know, liberal indoctrination versus the lower levels. But I mean, to your point, I, I don't think it's a widespread thing, but I think that it's a brilliant move on his part because it really feeds into those Tucker Carlson 
Fox News, Trump heavy Republicans, which is his base, you know, agree with him or disagree with him. I think it's a smart move. No, no. And I, I, I agree with, with everything that you said there. I mean, the, like, if I was to rebut one thing, it would be, you don't need a law to, to say that nobody's going to, you know, promote first graders being shown masturbation videos. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, I think that that's like, I think anybody would accept that up here in the North or, you know, really anywhere <laughs> South Midwest. Um, but I, I think that that's absolutely right. Like as much as he does things in order to gain kudos from his base, it's like, he's, he's almost hoping to get caught in kind of like the liberal scandal because that amplifies what he's got to say more than, more than anything else. Yeah. So much. It, it amplifies it way more than I think does for their own, their own good. I think that the, uh, the Democrats consistently shoot themselves in the foot with this guy. Yeah. It was similarly with Trump, right. In 2016, like a lot of the things that they were like, ah, we got you now and everyone's going to be against you. 50% of people were like, Oh no, I was, I was kind of thinking the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, though, Ricky, to your point of like where Republicans want to like put their stake in the ground, this is these are areas where Republicans largely do want to put their stake in the ground. Like their cultural wars have existed from the time this country was begun. And those cultural wars have changed and shifted over time. And there have been victories for, for both sides. But I think you would say pretty consistently that like liberals have or were winning a lot of those cultural wars through the latter half of the 20th century and the beginning of the 21st century. I would say just in recent years, conservatives feel like they might have a chance to to actually put their stake in the ground and win on some of these issues, whether it is the abortion issue or transgender issues or some of the gender identity issues for for early, for, for young children. And so I do think that we had talked about, or the way you had phrased it of like a, a leader where Trump... And who knows what DeSantis really believes, but from all, for everything that he's done and said, he seems to really believe in these things. And like Trump, for as much as people love him, was it was more like the classical liberal. You know, he was never like the true like conservative beliefs. There's nothing in Trump's life that would make you to believe that like he's truly a conservative, like moral person in terms of like your traditional home values. But DeSantis might be that guy. And there's a sizable portion of the traditional Republican base, which is now part of like the MAGA base. But there's also people, I would say, whether they're religious conservatives or traditional conservatives, just like values wise, that do very strongly believe in these issues. And like Austin's saying, he's he's positioning himself to take on that mantle of not only the Trump tell it like it is and don't care what the, the media and the people up north and the elites on Twitter say, but to actually like really kind of believe in these conservative ideas. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think, you know, I don't want to jump ahead too much or if you guys are planning on talking about this, but I think that he really is trying to take Trump's place. I mean, I think that's his long-term goal. I think it's, it's it, I think the secret's out. I mean, if you look at a January, I think it was maybe it was February, um, him and DeSantis, him and DeSantis got into it, you know, and they used Roger Stone of all people as a conduit, you know, um, insult, for insulting each other. And, um, and it was over the COVID boosters, you know, you know, DeSantis didn't want to say whether he had the booster or not, because I think that again, feeds into maybe I'll lose some support if I, if I admit that I do, do have it. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that he did get it. I mean, just by his, you know, reluctance to admit that he didn't, um, 
but you have you have Trump out here insulting him for that. And I think that you know it, it's it's early cracks in the foundation of of the Republican, you know, the two big Republican kingmakers. And I think it's going to lead to a really, really interesting uh, primary season in the upcoming year. Do you yeah. think he'll step aside if Trump? All right, no, no, stop. You guys, you guys are getting ahead of me. I want to stop. Yeah. Wanna... I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> no, but I think I, I want to keep. I want to keep on that train so Ricky don't lose that question. But uh, also, you were mentioning that the education issues are maybe l- larger at the high, higher education level. So. DeSantis hasn't stopped at the K to three level. He he has bills in the last year addressing all levels of education in Florida. And so yeah, in yeah. June in June of 2021, he banned, he led the effort to ban the teaching of critical race theory in Florida public schools. He also signed several education bills, one that suggested that like state colleges and universities could lose funding if they were found to promote quote unquote indoctrination. Uh, he didn't offer like any specific examples of such indoctrination happening, but like they, they could be fine. Like he kind of put the put the marker out there. He also <laughs> a different bill requires all higher institutions, higher education to, quote, assess the intellectual freedom and viewpoint diversity at that institution using a survey adopted by the State Board of Education. And a third bill required uh, mandatory lessons on the, quote, evil of communist and totalitarian regimes. Uh, and finally, in March of this year, just a couple months ago, uh, he mandated on on um, on September seventh, like on November seventh. There's like Soviet uh, the October Revolution Day that like Soviets celebrate. He mandated in Florida that on that day all schools must devote 45 minutes to teaching about communism, the role of Stalin, Mao, Fidel Castro, and other communist leaders, and how people suffered under those regimes. So uh, this like goes to, like, he is not leaving any stone unturned in either the culture or education wars. He's, he's at the forefront of them all. So uh, I guess I'll start with you, Austin. Do you have any thoughts on any of those bills that he signed in the last year? I think I think I might be the wrong person to ask that question because I you know I do agree with him, but I think it also might be because I was a history minor and I'm also like a history nerd, you know. And I I I, I think that you know teaching those things are, are are vital to understanding of not only the world history but the importance of democracy in our in our system. You know, we've seen it threatened a lot recently, so I think I think it's, it's definitely still relevant. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree with it. I mean, I think I think those are important things you need to learn. I mean, if you want to go out there and support communism in the streets, that's fine. You have my blessing. That's part of your liberty as an American. But you should be educated as to what you're preaching. You know, you shouldn't go out there and preach about everyone gets everything equally, but, you know, not know about the tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of people Stalin killed, you know, more than Hitler. You know, I mean, it's, it's, that that train of thought has, has you know, the, the the preaching of communism in America has never really made sense to me. Maybe I'm alone there. I don't know. But um, yeah, I, I do agree with that. And I will I'll add on to what you said. I think he also passed a bill uh, requiring man, mandatory financial teachings in high schools before graduation. I thought that was a brilliant move. I mean, I wish someone would have taught me how to do my taxes. I, I still don't know how to do it completely. I mean, <laughs> So yeah, I, I I think his I think his I think his moves on education are 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 pretty solid. I mean, outside of the uh, quote unquote "don't say gay" bill, I mean, you know, that's up for debate. You know, I think that there's maybe some room for trepidation there. But I, you know, I I think he's he's, he's got a pretty good track record in my eyes on, on education. It's 
so to me that the like those two you know we have to evaluate all the textbooks that we can find for some kind of liberal indoctrination and then we also have to devote 45 minutes every november 7th to like all of the bad things that communism has brought to this world like to me those are like opposite things because now i'm saying i what i'm saying is not that i'm against indoctrination is that i i'm against people in being indoctrinated in a way of thinking that is against is counter to mine which is like i mean really everybody's favorite protection of the first amendment is like i want to be able to say whatever i want to say i just don't want people to be able to say what they want to say if it's not what i want them to say yeah i agree with you i think that the math book thing uh you know that's i don't know if you guys are familiar with that story i'm i'm, I'm sure you guys probably are you guys keep your ear to the ground um i I, uh, I don't know the complete details of it, but I, I, I did think it was a little wacky based on what I did read, just recalling random math books for critical race theory issues. I mean, that's almost full circle because you had the left two years ago saying that math was racist on Fox News. And I was just like, what the hell? <laughs> well, that's where Ricky, I believe, is right to point out the some sometime hypocrisy in his policies because... I agree with you, Austin. Like, I, I want them to learn the full truth about communism, how it looks great on the surface, but how it has led to really some terrible results, some of the worst results in, in human history. And, you know, obviously I was a teacher. People listening know this. I taught sixth grade for a while and like we did government work. And so we, we studied uh, ancient Rome and Greece and we studied monarchies and we studied feudalism and then we studied American democracy and then we studied communism. And when you first introduce it to a bunch of 12 year olds, they love it. Right. It sounds great. But then you, you start to dig more and then you try to like get them to think. And again, they're young, but they'll, they'll get this again in high school of like, well, why, why might it not work? Like what, what, what might be dangerous? And we, we read Animal Farm, which is such a great example of the, the pitfalls of that often overtake socialism and communism. So I agree, I agree with you, but it's just hard when as a governor who's in charge of the state's education system, you're like, I want them to get the full picture of communism. Great. But then I don't want them to get the full picture of like the history of United States and how we treated like black people in this country. Or like we're going to ban all all things like Ricky, we, Ricky and I have talked about this, like critical race theory was not being taught in Florida, like at like schools, like, may, maybe at the very highest level at the university level, maybe but it wasn't being taught to like elementary, middle school, high school kids. And so that's where the political theater stuff comes back in and the hypocrisy about his policies bother me where it's like, all right, if we want to talk about all of these things, great, let's talk about all of these things and then let kids choose how they want to believe. If you still want to believe, like you said, Austin, if you still want to believe in communism, knowing you what you know, go right ahead. If you, if you like, and if you want to be like just America first after and be like, the United States is still the greatest country in the world, which I believe it is, after hearing about like how we have treated black people and minorities in this country, go right ahead. But like, we should be giving, we should be striving as a, as a state, as a country to give kids like the full picture of all of these things. So like, yeah, that frustrates me when I see that kind of hypocrisy that we pointed out. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. I think that there's nothing wrong with, I mean, I personally learned, you know, I went to a private school, but I, I did learn about, you know, the, the hor horrible treatment of, of minorities and African-Americans in this country's history. That knowing that stuff does not mean you're automatically on board with, you know, whatever you think, you know, whether, you know, uh, uh, any kind of benefits in the future. I mean, that's, that's, those are two different issues. And I think that's what a lot of Republicans get confused about is, you know, just because my child learns about, you know, discrimination 
you know, now they're going to become automatically become far left. It's like, that's not what it is. You know, actually it was the Republican party that lifted the minority, you know, the, the African-Americans out, out of, out of the, out of the chain. So, you know, I don't really, uh, I don't think those two go hand in hand, but again, you know, to my earlier point, I think, you know, this goes just, you know, right towards the critical race theory, easy apple to pick off the tree on, you know, you watch anything on Tucker Carlson, two days later, you'll see DeSantis signing a bill about it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he knows whose audience is, I'll give him that. He knows whose voter base is, you know, and. 100%. And I, I think like, honestly, the education space has been one where I've long felt Republicans and conservatives should do a better job and put more focus on because I think it's a winning message, not necessarily all the things that DeSantis is doing, but just a more focus on education. And so, yeah, DeSantis has made that, unlike a lot of other Republican leaders, he has made that a core tenet of his administration. I I give him credit for that, not only for the political expediency of it, because I, I also generally think that conservative ideas about education or tend to be winning ideas, but it, I do want to, I was going to mention anyway, I'm glad you brought it up, like the financial literacy bill. So Florida is now the largest U.S. state to mandate uh, financial literacy course to graduate high school, which I, I think of all those other things, which may or may not be controversial. This is something that I, I agree, Austin, that every state should be doing. This is a place that we should be emulating Florida. And so definitely give them credit for that. Yeah, I think it's a really smart move. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't really have any more to say about it, but I, I think it's definitely a winning message, like you said. And I, and I agree with you. I wish Republicans would hop more on the education wagon because I think that they do have a winning message when it comes to education. Maybe not DeSantis's policy specifically, whether you want to agree with those or disagree with those. But I think, you know, just the conservative model in general, I think, is very much a winning model. Totally agree. Uh, so last issue that I want to talk on with DeSantis was voting rights. And we kind of danced around this a couple of times, but his... He is, again, voting rights has been in the news over the past couple of years, and DeSantis has been right there as a close ally of President Trump, putting forth a lot of the same theories or supporting some of the theories that President Trump has purported to to carry forth over the last few years. And so whether it goes back to Florida had a a bad history of the voting rights for felons, where like they... even after you were released from prison, felons still did not have the right to vote. And so while, while that was overturned shortly before, uh, it was overturned on a ballot initiative, I believe, uh, in November of 2018. But DeSantis didn't allow people that still owed money, like still owed like court fees and those sorts of things and fines, didn't allow those people to vote. And that's been upheld through significant litigation. So he's, he's, his, his policy is, is legal, but doesn't didn't place a great marker on his like desire to have people expanding voting rights. And then after the 2020 election, DeSantis has called for eliminating things like uh, drop boxes and limiting the right to vote by mail, not totally, but just requiring people to like re-register every year if they want to vote by mail. And the, the signature that they put on has to exactly match their signature in the, the registry. And so it's again, one of those political theater things that it's in the news and he seems to be on the right side of things for the Republican party. But how have you seen, or have you seen any of those issues playing out in Florida? Well, you know, I'll go ahead. I'll say this for start. I'm not any expert on uh, voting rights or, you know, voting, voting law or election law or anything like that. Um, I think that probably his, his biggest obstacle right now is obviously that voting map. I mean, 
that's going to, that's going to bring him a lot of heat, but I also think it's going to bring him a lot of, you know, wins in the Republican party, you know, with his base because they want to see more Republican districts. And the issue with this map is that it splits up a 200 mile corridor in Northern Florida that is predominantly African-American. And I think that, you know, I think eventually he will win on this. And I think that it's going to just be a huge victory for him, you know, and it's, and it's, it's a shame because it, 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 whether you agree with it or not, it's, it's, it's a shame because, you know, it kind of backfires in the Democrats face when they challenge this stuff, because it's like, it's just giving him more and more publicity. So it's almost like the guy can't lose, you know, even when he loses, he wins because it's just, it's a publicized court battle that I think he's eventually going to win. And, you know, it's a, it's a victory for him. Yeah, Ricky, do you have any thoughts on the voting rights stuff? Yeah, I mean, I guess that we 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 continue to see this play out in in different places. I think there's definitely like with I think he's signed into law some election fraud and election fraud investigation something or other, um, which is definitely like a hot button issue. But then with the redistricting and some of these other things like continuing to prevent ex felons from voting, like we kind of know which way these populations that are getting uh, or that are being prevented from voting, which way they lean. And like, it's, it's a way to, to kind of further entrench um, power. And and that's not a, you know, a Republican only thing. Like in New York, the, the districts were thrown out for gerrymandering as well. Ohio's had similar problems, Michigan, I think too. So it's, it's happening everywhere. Um, yeah. I I don't know. I guess I guess I, I I am interested a little bit in in Austin why you think this this issue on on kind of voting plays so well. Is it like really like he's in a, a champion for election integrity here and that the Democrats are trying to get into the way of that? Or is it like also like a continuation of that kind of the Tucker Carlson like great replacement? Like the Democrats are gonna win by replacing white voters are bringing in people who shouldn't be voting to vote, um, to vote blue. Okay. So, yeah, a few things, uh, first off, you know, I, you mentioned gerrymandering there and, um, I agree. It's not just a Republican thing, regardless of what the news says. I mean, like you said, New York just got their map thrown out. Um, but if you actually pull up the district that he is talking about splitting into pieces, it looks pretty darn gerrymandered you know in itself i mean like i said it's a 200 mile long corridor amongst uh northern florida i mean and it's got specific little tiny areas <laughs> sectioned off i mean it's very it's very conspicuous looking i'll leave it at that um to your question about you know does he is he actually seen as someone who protects you know the voting integrity i think the republicans would like to say yes i think that that goes again what i've said it's like the fox news narrative you know it's just the election was stolen. Okay, well, you know, someone's got to def- defend it. So let's, <laughs> let's pass a law to defend it, you know, regardless of what we have, you know, proof or not, you know, and um, again, I don't want to jump ahead and I don't want to, you know, cross your lines, but, you know, just the, what I'll say about that whole thing is that, you know, if him or Trump wants to run in 2024, they've got to get ready for the answer uh, or the question of, okay, well, if you think the election was stolen from you, without any proof, um, why are you running now? Because nothing has changed, you know? And I think that that's going to be, that's going to be a really, really interesting answer that I got to give. Yeah. Let's just stick with that then, because 
what what do you think? And Ricky, what, what was your question in terms of Austin? What do we think is going to happen in the next two years? I, right now, DeSantis has said that all he is focused on is, is running for re-election as governor. He has a massive, massive war chest of money. He has not only does he have national headlines, but now he has been out and about like in other states, too. So he, he's certainly laying a foundation for a future national political bid. Whether or not that comes in 2024, I think, is the most interesting, relevant question. And so, uh, yeah, Austin, what, what do you start with that? What, what do you think is going to happen? So that's that's like one of my favorite questions to be asked. And, and I'll make this kind of short. Um, I think that I think both Trump and DeSantis will run. I think that Trump is definitely going to run out of the two. If, I had to, if you ask me which one I thought was definitely going to run, it'd definitely be Trump. Um, I think he likes being the kingmaker. I think that his ego definitely won't let him out of it. Um, I think if you look at DeSantis, you know, his war chest right now, I think it stands at $106 million dollars. Um, and that's not state election money, really. That's not that's not state election funds. That you know, you look at Charlie Crist, his closest opponent is eight million dollars in his war chest. Okay. I mean, he's geared up for something big, and we I think we all know by now it's 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 federal election. And um, I think it'll be interesting to see them 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 fight it out. I mean, and I think that they are gonna have to answer this whole election fraud thing that they've both kind of promulgated over the last three years or last two years, I guess. Um, you know, if you think it was stolen, why are you running now? Nothing's changed, you know? So we'll have to see what happens. Do you think he's done enough nationally to overtake Trump? And I mean, I, I mean, Kelly and I talked a little bit a few weeks ago about how kind of the other major sort of stalwarts of the Republican Party all feel like this is still Trump's party. And if he runs, you know, he's pretty much going to run unopposed. But I think DeSantis is definitely a person who has shown that he's not really afraid to take on Trump and doesn't feel like, you know, Trump saying that he's, you know, not the guy is the kiss of death the way that, you know, some other Republican candidates are kind of afraid to challenge Trump. So curious, yeah, what your thoughts are there. I think that he's just going to have to discern himself from Trump. I think he's just going to have to say, listen, like I am this moderate not, I don't want to say moderate because he's really not, but he's the more moderate of the two, you know, and I think that he reads into the party pretty well in the discussion. I know me and Brendan have had several times now there is like this kind of hunger in the party for someone who's not Trump, but also believes in all of Trump policies. And I think that he thinks that he's that guy. And I think that what's really going to hurt him is if you go back to his 2018 election footage, you know, all of his ads were about you know, with his kids building little walls and stuff like that. So if he wants to discern himself from Trump, it's going to be really difficult. I think that Trump's going to have a lot of ammo against him. I think that the Democrats are going to have even more. Um, I think that, you know, if I had to guess the split right now, I'd say it's probably 70-30 Trump um, in the in the Republican Party, maybe 60-40. I don't, I don't know. But um, I think that regardless of what happens, if he wants to win, I think he's really going to have to spend all that money on ads kind of touting all his achievements in Florida and his policies in Florida and saying, listen, I can do these federally. You know, this is how I'm different from this guy. I, I don't know. Well, I think, I think to his credit, he, he is that guy that he sees that you're saying he sees himself as where like, as I was saying earlier, he's the, the Trump ideas, the Trump straight shooter with an actual like congressional record an exemplary academic record an actual military record, actual gubernatorial record, all of the things that Trump didn't have had no experience Governor Santos has like done all of these things that he could point to all the things that Trump voters say they don't care about. <laughs> well, right. But I think if, if you're following like, the same policies, but you have a record to run on, 
like that, that's something I, I just don't, to me, I don't see in Ricky, I think this is what you're kind of getting at. Like Trump is uniquely singular in terms of his appeal, uh, a personal appeal to people and how people feel about him. And I don't know that, I, I don't believe that anybody in the country currently, certainly not Ron DeSantis is going to engender that kind of loyalty and like fierce dedication. And I think that's too much to overcome. I would be Personally, I would be shocked if they both ran. I think DeSantis is probably the leader in the clubhouse if Trump doesn't run. But Austin, I agree with you. I think Trump is more likely than not to run. So I would be surprised if DeSantis challenged him. I think because to me, unless he believes that like, he really can win, that would be damaging to him because then he would have to go against Trump in some ways throughout that, that primary. Whereas if Trump says no, why not just wait until 2028, do four more years in Florida, keep your name in the headlines, keep building your record, and then emerge that? Yeah, I feel like dream scenario for Democrats is that it's DeSantis and Trump and maybe like one other person. Those guys split the far right vote and then you got a moderate who somehow squeaks in even though nobody likes him. <laughs> yeah, I think I think this is the last thing I'll say about it, but I think that if Trump runs, it's it's going to be rough for the Republicans. I mean, no one in their party wants to admit it for some reason, but it is going to be rough. I mean, I know nationally there's more registered Democrats than there are Republicans by a long shot, you know, last I checked. Um, and I think, you know, in order to win, you need, their, you need the independent vote. And Trump only has 70% of the Republican Party vote, you know. So if you're going to run, how, I mean... I just don't see how you see, I mean, unless he runs against Biden again, and who we now all know is compromised. I mean, like all jokes aside, he definitely has some form of dementia. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, whether you like him or hate him, you know, we've got, we've got late term Ronald Reagan in the office right now. I mean, this, the, the, you know, anyways. Um, yeah. So I think it's going to be a really, really bad scenario for the Republicans. If, if Trump decides to run again, I mean, in, unless it's a showdown against Biden again, I don't, see how he's going to pull it off. I mean, because as we've seen, I mean, Biden was a relatively weak candidate who was in last place in the primaries until South Carolina. I mean, I mean, and, and people would rather vote for him rather than, than, than another four years of Trump, whether you love him or hate him. I mean, that, that's the simple truth. Um, so I think that the Democrats will have to field a relatively weak candidate and they'll still be able to win, quite frankly. Yeah, we'll a, lot of, a lot of time now, I guess. But I said this. Or sorry, no. yeah, I said I said this two weeks ago. But Austin, uh, I I said that I think we're heading for a rematch of 2020, and that's just going to be super depressing for everybody. <laughs> I hope not. I really, really, really hope not. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Maybe DeSantis is the guy. Uh, but that's it. That that flew by. That was Austin. This is exactly why I said that you were going to be a perfect person for this conversation because. Uh, the, I appreciate the insight, not only from a Floridian, but as someone that's like super up on current events and as a, as a conservative. So um, thank you so much for, for joining us tonight. I really appreciate your time. Oh, of course. Thanks for having me, guys. You know, it was a great good discussion. It's always good to have, you know, differing opinions. I'm a big proponent of that. So thanks for having me on. No, we appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, yeah, good luck with starting work and everything. And I'm, I'm sure we'll talk soon. Appreciate it. Have a good summer, guys. You too. Bye. So once again, huge thank you to Austin for joining us tonight. We always appreciate when people take time out of their busy schedules to have these conversations with us. And as I said to Austin at the end, I thought the conversation 
was was great. It's really exactly what we were looking for. He was the perfect person to bring on and get his perspective on these things. I think one of the reasons that he was so perfect for this is because he's just so tuned in to like the politics of it. And so not only was he able to he able to give us some insight into like what Floridians might be thinking and feeling about some of the DeSantis policies, but he's able to sit back and appreciate in a way how strategic DeSantis has been. And that, that's something which I, I guess I like intuitively knew, like you don't come from relatively nowhere to being one of like the leaders of the Republican party in two years, like as an accident, really, you have to be smart and strategic about how you go about things. But I appreciate him continuing to come back to that, where it's like, whatever you think about his policies, you have to respect him as a politician. Yeah, very calculated in uh, sort of what he does and and when and um, yeah, and he's and like you know, and speaking with Austin and kind of reflecting on how I've come to sort of be familiar with Ron DeSantis, that like dual. I'm speaking to Floridians, but I'm also doing these things with an eye of kind of gaining some either notoriety or 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 publicity on the national stage he's done it incredibly well he's like we talked about the stake in the ground things there are a lot of people in florida that appreciate that he's taking that stand but there's a lot of a lot of people nationally that appreciate he's taking this stand and when you think about the contrast that we were drawing at the end of that conversation between him and trump trump is so seemingly scattershot where nothing is really planned he, he's a true shoot from the hip guy where desantis like gives the impression of shoot like shooting from the hip, but really everything is calculated. And it's in some ways, if you're a Republican who believes in a lot of these policies, he's the best of both worlds. I, like I'm quite honest, I, I, like I said to Austin, I would be stunned if, if we had a DeSantis Trump primary. I don't know that that would be good for either of them, but who knows? I mean, maybe he does see that this is his moment and he should strike where the iron's hot. Uh, but obviously like we're still, a ways away from that but also we're not that far away from it because as, as soon as like these midterms happen at the beginning of 2023 we'll some people will start to declare and so it's it's worth at least getting the gears running on on potential candidates for that uh, but yeah i would be shocked if if we got both DeSantis and trump in the republican primary yeah it's it's in, I mean, the, the field was so crowded last time or not last time in, uh, 2016. in 2016. And then right with, with everyone saying never Trump this, never Trump that. And then of course he gets elected and, and then, you know, fast forward to a, a place where Republicans, regardless, like we talked about McCarthy and others, regardless of how they feel, unless they want unless they're comfortable accepting the moniker of like pariah of the republican party like liz cheney uh you can't say anything um against against trump and so now the the yeah the specter of like who's who who's going to run against him because undoubtedly there are people probably including desantis who don't you know like austin who don't think Trump is actually a viable candidate, but they also are, you know, very leery about challenging him in a primary. Right. And that's really what it is. If we, we can't just like get through praising how intelligent and calculating 
DeSantis is and not think that he's weighing all of these things that in order to win a Republican primary with Trump in it, there's, you would have to go after Trump and make it seem like you are better than him. And again, for better or for worse, often for worse, like no one in the political spectrum right now is engendering the kind of loyalty and dedication that President Trump is. And so we'll see. I I agree with that Austin's ultimate point of like, and this is what I said a few weeks ago, was like, God help us that we don't have a repeat of 2020 again. And if DeSantis is that guy, I think he's a legitimate candidate. And again, he might not win, people might not like him, but I think he's, you, you couldn't say a lot of the things that you said about Trump about DeSantis. Yeah. And, and I guess, so, you know, you, you talked a little bit about his track record as a governor um, and, and a bit of what he did in Congress. And I think, you know, one of the interesting things, like let's go hypothetical of all hypotheticals, Trump decides, you know what, 2024, I'm, I'm happy just running my truth social and, and that's going to be the best thing since sliced bread. Uh, I'd much rather be on the outside, just, you know, firing off my my half tweets or whatever the truth. I don't know what you call it. <laughs> social, but <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> truth bombs. Um, so now, you know, we, we talk and I actually didn't get a chance to ask Austin about this. Maybe, maybe there'll be a follow-up, but like, you know, a lot of these hot button, like cultural issues that DeSantis is drawing a very, very stark line. These are not, you know, people who are socially, uh, you know, so, uh, sorry, fiscally conservative, but socially liberal would probably not say that, you know, what DeSantis is doing is top of my agenda. And so now we open ourselves up to a national race. And are we at a set, similar place where people are looking at Florida and being like, holy shit, if this happens to the country, like, you know, everyone's going to be running, you know, everyone, all the liberals, plus maybe a small section of, uh, you know, socially uh, liberal conservatives are also going to be like, yeah, I don't necessarily know that this kind of o- overreach, which is, you know, not a hard sort of phrase to apply to his style of state government. Like, I don't want that applying federally. Um, you know, I don't want those executive orders raining down on us. I like, I wonder, I wonder how that plays. Cause Trump never had that record. A lot of people were like, you know, you kind of got to give Trump a chance. DeSantis is now going to have a laundry list of things that liberals are in general. Like this is not the America that I want at all. 100%. But he, he's betting that it, it is, it, it is enough. And of course the liberals who are never going to vote for anyway, will be up in arms about like his record, but he's betting. And to your point, maybe this is, to be determined in two years or in six years of whether or not this is a winning message, but he's betting that a large enough, you know, the quote unquote silent majority of the country actually does agree with him on enough of these issues to give him a chance at a, at a shot like that. So we'll see. Like I said, I mean, to me, obviously having Trump not run and having DeSantis out there against a Rubio and a Holly and uh, um, I don't know, I don't think Murkowski has any Nikki Haley of uh, who else did I not mention? Did I say Larry Hogan already? Um, like, like if, if we have like a true open primary with those type of people, great. Let's have those debates. And like if whoever emerges, I think we would have a, a pretty solid candidate. And yeah, that's like, they were looking too far ahead or being too hopeful, but that, that is my hope. Yeah. I mean, I, I get, 
Yeah, I mean, I I do see DeSantis in the Trump free primary as like I think you know the way that certain Republicans have I don't know branded themselves as right like you know the Josh Hollies of the world I just don't see him having the same national appeal that DeSantis has and this is from a very like skewed kind of progressive uh news outlet like understanding of what's going on but like really the only thing that I saw was about Josh Hawley is that he tried to get a book that was pulled and I'm sure people were like upset about that for him but like in general he's kind of not really in the news the way DeSantis is yeah certainly DeSantis has set himself up he's put himself in a really good position what he does with that position in the next couple of years we'll see but I'm glad we kind of got this episode under our belts and we can definitely revisit this if it turns out in six months that he d- decides that he is going to run for president or or not. Uh, but this is, we're, we're, we're potentially previewing this for, for our listeners. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. Well, guess we'll, guess we'll wait and see. Well, I will not see you soon, but uh, I'm glad that we've had a productive week this week. <laughs> Indeed. Perhaps our most productive week. More of this when I get back. Yeah. I'll see you when I see you then. Yeah. Bye. We stay up all night on Garner Avenue. Debating all the issues of the day No agenda, not yet Talking heads Running around till we forget where it was We began Some mornings you were away Some morning left your ego bruised But what I wouldn't give for the Hope I used to find it Case of lion's head Folks of different minds Because even though we did not share Opinions we share That American ideal Friends made over arguments In an early morning buzz Need an early morning buzz Learn the hard way That to those who would die upon that hill Quiet truth is better Somewhere along the line We seem to have forgotten The values sometimes being wrong Some mornings you away The morning let your ego bruise But what I wouldn't give For the hope I used to find In a case of lion's head And folks of different minds Though we didn't share Opinions we share Loud American ideal Friends made over arguments And an early morning buzz I need an early morning buzz There's hope behind the bluster Cause the old mainstream may not sell It's full of folks just like you and me When we have trouble seeing the human for the politics It's time to find a better way to disagree 
Some days you ain't Some days you'll leave your ego through But oh, I wouldn't give for Hope I used to find it Chase the lion's head And folks are different mind Because though we did not share Opinions we share on that American ideal Friends made over arguments And an early morning buzz oh, What I wouldn't give for The hope I used to find In a case of lion's head Folks are different mind Because though we did not Share opinions, we share that American ideal. Friends made over arguments in an early morning buzz. I need an early morning buzz.